You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Uh, we're going to start a, a new series tonight. Uh, we, we finished this, uh, the dynamic paradox in the DNA, which uh, we're actually working and we're going to be making a, a comp- like a, a booklet um, that we're actually going to publish in some sort and get to the whole church soon, kind of out of that series. But uh, we're now going to uh, transition and I'm going to title it Discipled by Jesus. And we're just going to go on a journey of letting the Lord disciple us. And, and I, I picked that word because uh, I, in this, we're going to be talking about the life of worship and the life of a disciple and how what we're doing on Sundays actually should have great impact on what we do Monday through Saturday. And I'm hoping that to build a bridge and actually for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And conviction is a beautiful gift. Amen. Conviction actually gives us power to change the way that we live our lives. So I just believe that the conviction of the Spirit's going to rest on us and actually empower us uh, to move uh, in, in, into a, a new way of life and actually, you know, influence the way that we spend our time on a daily, weekly, monthly basis so that we can live lives uh, of worshipers, lives of, uh, that embody the discipleship of Jesus. So does that sound okay? Okay. You don't, like half of you said that sounds okay. So the other half of you, hopefully I will woo you in the next 40 minutes. Uh, that you will, you will think it sounds awesome too. Uh, if you can stand up, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, uh, a longer passage tonight, which is good, because again, uh, the word of God is what holds the most authority in, in any time that we gather in his name. So before I preach, I want uh, to just offer you the pure word of scripture, and I'm going to read Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. It says, then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate, by the way of the gate that faces east, and behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the waist. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river I could not pass. For the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be passed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I'd returned, behold, the bank of the river, there were many trees on the one side and the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and go down into the Dead Sea. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Eniglaim. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. 
but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. By the river on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. And that is the word of the Lord. There's power on that. We don't need to add a lot to the word, amen? It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it can pierce us. So Jesus, we pray that your word will come forth from heaven and pierce us tonight, convict us tonight, and make us more like Jesus tonight, we pray in your mighty name, amen. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight. The title for tonight's message is Habitational Christianity. Uh, God desired us to be a habitation of his presence. That is what Jesus shed his blood to accomplish, is that he could make us the temple that he came and made his home within. We theologically know this. We theologically assent to this. But very few actually step in to the reality of becoming a habitation of God. Uh, I just want to share a couple stories from church history to cast a vision that there's a reality uh, there's more than what you and I have yet experienced and stepped into, and I'm just going to share uh, two stories of two men, and I like them both because uh, it was the ordinary, mundane things of life. There was a recognition that the Shekinah of God actually was upon them. Uh, one of them's a, a monk that was named Brother Lawrence, and uh, he had a, a small work called The Practice of the Presence of God. Some of you have probably read it. Uh, what I love about Brother Lawrence, he got to the point in, in the book, he's detailing his inner life, which was that he never left communion. He had unbroken fellowship with God for decades at a time, in the last many decades of his life. And uh, what I, you know, that sounds so super spiritual and hard to get out, but what people would come, they would, they would uh, it was, you know, hundreds of years ago, and so people would drive on uh, their horseback, drive, horseback, uh, ride, their little horse buggies, you know, uh, to see him. And what they would watch him do is they'd watch him do the dishes. And as people watched him doing the dishes, they would be overwhelmed with the manifest presence of God. Because Lawrence didn't live a visitational relationship with Jesus where he had to come to church to be in his presence and worship. He actually broke out of the temple structure and lived as a habitation of the presence of God. And people noticed. People came from hundreds of miles. How long does that take on a horse? Anybody ever done it? I have not. I rode around a horse every Sunday when I was growing up every once a year. They had Cowboy Sunday. It was the only time I wanted to go to church. Put my little Woody Wranglers on, and I was ready to be a cowboy for a 10-minute ride, you know? Never rode hundreds of miles to watch someone do dishes before. That tells me there was something powerful going on in the life of Brother Lawrence. Uh, another one is a man named Smith Wigglesworth. He has a lot of stories, and he's known for his miracles. But what strikes me, uh, there's these stories. He was uh, from the UK in London, and he would ride the uh, train. And people would often, it was a common occurrence, that people would be in the same train car as him, and they would stop what they're doing and say, you convict me of my sins with tears pouring down their face. Uh, and there's one story that really messed me up a few years ago. I read he was in a, a really uh, exclusive, nice restaurant, and he noticed that everyone around him in the tables, they weren't praying before their meal. And so before their, their meal came, 
he began to pray, and as he began to pray, the presence of God filled the whole restaurant to where people were sobbing and weeping and confessing their sins and giving their lives to Jesus. Did not preach the gospel. He just was a living habitation of the Shekinah. And, and this is Jesus' spirituality. This is what he modeled in his life. It was not, hey, come to the synagogue next Sabbath. I'm gonna rock your world. That's a nervous laugh. Right? He lived in the Shekinah, in the presence, and everywhere he went, people encountered the kingdom of God. That's why his message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at church. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, because he walked as a habitation of God. And so his discipleship was, was there was one main purpose, which was that you would become like him, that we would become a habitation of God. And we see this in his disciples. When his job was done and he knew that they were ready to live as habitations of his presence, that was when he could depart and go to the Father because then they could carry on his message, which was you empty yourself, you be filled with the presence, and you walk as a living manifestation, a living oracle that repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. I am living in his presence. I'm not preaching to you a religious form. I'm manifesting to you a man named Jesus who is the king that you're all longing for. Right? That is a habitation. That is what God's desiring for us. Most Christians live in a visitational relationship, which is that we have to go somewhere to worship. We have to, we have to do something. It's event-oriented. We have to be attracted to some sort of a, a visit, uh, and, and we encounter God uh, and that's not bad. And the reason I read the Ezekiel 7, 47 passage is because uh, I believe the temple structure is vital, right? And that is a place that Israel would go. Right? It's, it's a structured place, like you're here, we're at the temple tonight, you know, temple, take that loosely. Uh, don't put that on Facebook, we're not a real temple, right? But we are a structured meeting place for God. And we see that the structured meeting place is where the trickle of his presence comes. And so God actually invites us into structured spaces because he's training us there. And he invites us, he says, don't forsake the public assembling, right? The, the, the coming together in the name of Jesus to worship him. Don't forsake that. Don't, like what's happening here is significant. It's not that we need to say, oh no, we get rid of the visits. No, that's not true. We're called to live in a rhythm of communal worship. I think it's more significant than we even realize. But we have to recognize that, that what God was even speaking through the oracle of Ezekiel 47 is that you're coming to the temple unto something, right? His, his desire was not for us to stay in the temple because he only called certain people to actually give their lives to create the atmosphere of the temple, and that's the Levites, uh, the Levitical call. And there are still modern-day Levites Right, I'm one of them. There are people that God has set apart to actually minister and care to the atmosphere of the temple. And I'm gonna talk next week about the Levitical call and the rhythm of how the corporate body and the Levites are supposed to, they have a shared inheritance that they need one another and there's a give and a take. I'm gonna talk about that next week, but the point that I'm trying to make is that the temple is the place of visit. It's a visitational relationship with God. But Jesus tore the veil so that trickle could start getting out of the temple so that he could invite us to live a life in the river because everywhere the river goes, 
things live. And then it picked the most dead geographic location on our planet, the Dead Sea, which who's been there? There was just a team there that got back this week. Right? It is so salty and dead, you get a drip in your eye, you burn and scream. Right? You like, I ate an ice cream cone floating in that thing. It had so much salt. Right? It is dead. You know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because it's dead. Everything's dead. Nothing lives there. It's the deadest place imaginable. But where that river goes, right, it's a picture of resurrection power. It's a picture of what the kingdom of God does. Everywhere the river goes, it, it causes fish to swarm. There's no fish in the Dead Sea. There's nothing in the Dead Sea but salt and water, right? And then it says trees start growing. It says that, that fishermen, right, which is it's, it's the, that's pastoral call. They start throwing out their nets. There's the harvest, right? There's trees, there's rootedness, there's family, there's fruitfulness, there's intimacy, there's healing, right? He's describing that where people start living in the river, you'll go out into the dead places of the world and you'll turn that dead place into a living place. That's what happens when you live in the river, right? And the further the river gets away from the temple, the more powerful it becomes, so God is actually critiquing an over-centralized religious structure where everything was about the temple. God was working for thousands of years to get out of the temple that he built and, and was discipling, but that wasn't the highest revelation. He didn't just want to be God with us. He wanted to be God in us. And Jesus shed his blood so that the temple veil could be torn and we could live as a habitation of God so that everywhere we go, we're walking in his presence and it's transformative, right? There's a transformative culture that you've been invited to live into that it changes literally every atmosphere you'll ever go in. When we become a habitation of God, there is nothing that can stand in your way. You will be persecuted, you will be hated, you will be spit on, you will be said all kinds of things, but the kingdom of God will manifest through you and the life and the resurrection power of Jesus will be shown. People will be forced to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the goal of Jesus' discipleship. This is his message, right? So we have to, Recognize, and this, this, this sermon series is gonna be about what is Jesus doing here at the temple and how are we, how is he trying to train us to learn to live in the river so that we can be a people, does this make sense? So we can live in the river because what connects the temple to the Dead Sea is a river. That river is his presence, right? And we're encountering his presence at the temple, but it's unto a life cultivated where I learn to abide in that river so that I can go anywhere that river flows and I can bring life, amen? amen. So I wanna just tell you a story. Uh, those of you that know me well, you'll know that this is not as abnormal as it may seem, but uh, I was, uh, I, was uh, I forget details. That's the point I was trying to make there. I, I'm not good with details. I got big picture, not little picture, but there was one day, uh, this was years ago, it's probably... I don't even know, six or seven years ago. And I had a break in my afternoon between meetings and I was out in Eagle and I was like, you know what? Someone bring me water. I'm gonna get thirsty. <laughs> this story's gonna make me thirsty. You'll see why. Uh, I was running. I was like, hey, I got an hour. I'm gonna go for a run. And at the time I was running a lot. And so it was one of those like August days where it's like 105 degrees outside. And I got on the green belt uh, in Eagle and I started running out to the river and it was like a six mile loop that I would do a lot. And uh, I didn't bring water. <laughs> I guess I just made my point. Uh, I didn't bring water. So I'm running, and uh, about two or three miles, like two miles in, I'm like, I am like dying right now. Like, I'm so 
overheated. I'm trying to like stay on the side where the shade is every once in a while, you know? And I finally get to my turnaround spot and I'm just soaked in sweat. I don't sweat well, so my salt, my, I get salty. So my whole face is covered in salt. And I'm like, this was not a good idea to forget water on a 105 degree day. But the problem was I had a meeting and I knew I had to get to that meeting. So I turned around and I was like, okay, I, I'm like, I think I had like three miles left with like 25 minutes to go. And I was like, okay, I can't stop. I can't stop, I have to run. So I tried to run faster. That worked for like 100 yards. And I was like, I'm gonna die. I don't have a cell phone. I'm getting like heat stroke, like I felt it, you know? And the whole, but what do I do? I'm like, no, I gotta keep going. So I just am like suffering. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I made it 200 yards. I'm gonna pass out. I've been running this like five times a week and I can't even run because the heat's so bad. And I'm literally like 10 feet from the river and I'm like, I need to get in the river. But I'm like, I gotta get to my meeting. I do not have time. Take my shoes off, get down the bank. I gotta keep going. So I try to go again. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I tried this like multiple times until finally I was like, I'm going to pass out. I have to get into the river. So <laughs> I didn't want to take my shoes off because I still knew I had to get that meeting. So I like crawled down the bank like this with keeping my shoes up. And then I got as close as I could down the bank and then just like flatted down into that water with my shoes still up on the shore. And then I'm like, I might drown, you know, but... The water's just like coming over me and I'm like, holy cows, you know the Boise River, it doesn't matter if it's August, it's still like the freezing cold most water you've ever touched in your life. It's like, wow, I kind of shimmied back out, you know, got my breath and I was like, I feel like a new person. I got up on the green belt, I ran as fast as I could, didn't even like sweat another bit, got to my car and as I'm maybe, you know, a quarter mile from my car, I hear the Holy Spirit whispering to me, he says, hey Jordan, He's like, I am God with you. Just like that river was with you the whole time you were suffering from heat stroke. He said, but you need to learn to slow down and get into the river because I wanna be God in you. And he said, and if you'll slow down, you'll find access to something that's far beyond what you have in your own strength. I was convicted. And honestly, I still am convicted as I recognize how many times I'm content to let God with me be a theological truth and fail to access a whole new way of life that he's inviting me into. I'm in such a hurry because that's what life trains us to do. And so I believe that if we want to become a habitation of God, we're gonna have to learn to slow down and get into the river. In the midst of the demands, in the midst of the schedules, those aren't gonna change. Parenting's not gonna get any easier. Work's not gonna get suddenly different. You know, like life is busy, but that is not an excuse. That is uh, the idolized culture that we live in, right? And it's easy when you go to places like India and you're like, they're idol worshipers. Don't do that, right? But we celebrate a lot of the idolatry in our culture, Right, which is workaholic, productivity, uh, finances, wealth. You know, we have all these things that we don't realize they slip into our belief system and they start changing the way that we spend our time. Right? And we're, we, have, we have competition within ourselves versus the way of Jesus that he's discipling us into, which is a life of worship versus a life uh, of our own, you know, our own independence, productivities, whatever it may be. 
so God wants to transition us, right? And this is not something, again, like we're on a journey here. So it's not like beat yourself up. Oh my gosh, like I'm, a, I'm in a visitational relationship. I'm horrible, right? Like, no, like we're gonna be growing on this journey, right? God wants to, he's gonna be discipling us the rest of our lives from, you know, of a visitational transitioning into a habitational relationship with him, right? He's gonna be transitioning us from God with us because this is how we get to know him, right? And you see this in the story of the Bible. Like God came to Abraham, he was kind of God to man, came every once in a while. Then the revelation with Moses is he was God with man. I'm the fire by night, I'm the cloud by day, I'm with you, you get it? Then Jesus was the culmination of God's revelation to us, which is I don't just wanna be to you, I don't just wanna be with you, I actually wanna be in you. Right, so that was like hundreds of years, or the thousands of years, were the discipleship. So uh, we we can't like get in a hurry. Like I'm gonna be all there in ten years. I've known Jesus ten years. Like that's awesome, right? But we got a long ways to go, right? And God wants to do that. And I believe that acceleration can come on us as we yield to it. But you don't beat yourself up. That doesn't help anything. God wants to transition from God with us to God in us. Uh, God wants us to transition in our spirituality where we do things because we are attracted to them. I'm attracted to church, right? I'm being drawn to it versus I'm actually discipled into it, right? God wants, you know, we, we're attracted into his presence because it's so amazing. But then part of our maturity is that we learn to discipline ourselves to remain in his presence, right? So he wants us to go from where we just do everything because we feel like it versus to no, no, no. Like, I've experienced this, and now I'm gonna grow up and actually build discipline out of the delight that I've experienced so that I can stay in it. Does that make sense? Transition. All right, we're gonna transition from a spirituality that is consumption, which is, is about me, which it's always about us at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. You notice that? You look back on your first day in the Lord, you're like, yeah, I thought I had it figured out. You know? You guys are convicted in here. That's why you're quiet, huh? Right, we transition from consumption to, to creativity, to co-workers, to I am your laborer, I'm your servant. You know, I, I'm your partner. Uh, you know, and everything that God does, it, it, it exudes with life and life abundantly. That's a, that's a phrase that, you know, captures the heart of creativity, that, that we're not here just to, like, drink and consume. Like, no, I'm, I'm with you as a partner in bringing life abundant to the world. Right? And, and lastly, we transition from a mediated relationship with God, a mediated Christianity, to the presence, which is the Hebrew face, face to face. Right? And this is, you know, this is difficult in New Testament Christianity, which is why we're going to spend time talking about the Levitical call, because you know, the wider church, like we, we utilize the anointing that God gives Levites, but it's for the sake of the wider church. It's not so that the Levites can become mediators which is what we often do in our brokenness. We want the religion of the mediator. We want you to do the work and then you, know, you tell me what God's saying and because it takes a responsibility. It takes, it's, it's, a, it's a lower form, it's infancy of our relationship with God. And so God wants to transition us from a religion of mediation, right? like a, a spirituality where I need a mediator to where I can come before his face. But that's actually a journey, right? And God actually doesn't, usually that's not our beginning with him. We actually are usually getting discipled, right? And there's a lot of dynamics that I'm not going to get into, but uh, I'm just kind of casting vision. Is that fair? So when I spent time uh, with Iris Ministries in Mozambique, uh, you know, it's a, it's a move of God that's taking place there. The spiritual atmosphere is um, powerful, right? That I, I, I was witnessing the river of God flow into dead places and turn things to life. 
I was watching it. It was like I was just in this river I couldn't pass through. And every time it was just so incredible. And I got so inspired watching God save the lost and heal the blind and, and, and you know, do these amazing things and witnessing what God had done uh, in this nation uh, through uh, you know, a, a couple, Heidi and Roland Baker and their ministry, Iris Ministries. And when I got home uh, to Boise, I, I nearly like went into depression because it was no longer a water I couldn't pass through. It felt like I was living in a trickle. And I could not understand what was going on. It was like, I think I missed it. I think I need to go back. I think I need to go somewhere else because where's all the water at? You know, it was like, you know, it's hard to get drenched in a trickle unless you're a real charismatic worshiper, you know? You're like, you're like splashing it up on your face, you know? That's what you're doing when you see those weird movements. It's like, so it's, it's hard to get submerged in a trickle. Right, but I found myself uh, barely getting my feet wet. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. <laughs> right, and, and, and the truth is that what I was experiencing that season is that I had just come from an atmosphere where I was, I was experiencing the fruit of, of, of uh, Levites that had created a, a spiritual atmosphere, right? God ordained uh, Levites, the bakers, you know, and their, their team. And they created an atmosphere, right, where I got to come into that, that place, that atmosphere. But then I was no longer in that place, right, because I hadn't become a habitation. They had become a habitation of God. I benefited from it. But then I came into my own area of calling, and I was not a habitation of God. I only knew God, like that was my visitational experience and it was amazing and it cast vision for me but as I got here and through the desolation and the disturbance and honestly like the lovesickness and all these things that I'm wrestling with, God started speaking to me and said, okay, you've seen what it looks like to be in an environment where Levites have created this habitation of God, but now you need to learn how to become a habitation yourself, and, and, and I sent you there unto something, Jordan. I sent you there to cast vision for what I'm inviting you into to express in your own life so that you are not dependent upon you know, another for, for your relationship with me, but you've become a habitation with God. It was a huge, uh, very painful growing season for me, but I'm so grateful for it because I started reorienting and recognizing, okay, I, I have work to do. I have a process ahead of me of allowing Jesus to disciple me into a rhythm of life, new practices, new, new ways of spending my time so that I can become a habitation like you're desiring for me. Does this make sense? I believe that this is a common Christian experience, right? And I obviously am, am called in a Levitical role. Most of you are not, and that is not, there's no better or worse. It's just where God has you positioned in the world. Does that make sense? Uh, and we'll go into that more next week, right? But it's very common, right? Sundays are amazing. My revival groups are awesome. Rest of the week with God? Mm. Mm, I don't know. Where's the presence at? I don't hear your voice like I do during corporate worship on Sunday. Man, I just kind of feel a lot more tempted now. I, you know, I just want to check out. You know what? I, I, you know, like, right, we, we're so much more vulnerable throughout the rest of our week. Right, who's honest? 
right? My Sundays are not quite the same as, right? There's a different, there's a different vitality. There's a different rhythm to my walk. There's a different candor to my spirituality. I'm actually overly dependent on corporate gatherings. I don't know how to sustain that type of atmosphere in life when I'm all by myself or when I'm at work or when I'm around negative people, or when I'm in whatever, my family, when I'm home at the holidays, right? We're all, we all deal with this all the time, right? Right, environments, places where we recognize, I don't even, I don't even have a clue where you are, nine to five, Monday through Friday. I'm just doing my best to finish everything. <laughs> the honesty, honesty is good. Right? You can be honest with yourself without beating yourself up. I've learned to just get honest with myself. Lord, I'm lacking. I don't know where, but I'm lacking. Right? The burn of our life with God should not be Sundays. Right? God is using Sundays to provoke you and I onto a discipleship journey. The Sundays are always unto something. Thursdays, every other Thursday or every other Wednesday, whenever you do your revival groups, they're unto something. And those are extraordinarily significant times that you actually, God in his, in his makeup of how we are as humans, we function in rhythms, right? And part of the rhythm that we all need are communal rhythms. We need individual rhythms. We need familial rhythms. We, there, there's rhythm. God has designed it. The whole world functions this way. Right? It's March 1st, we know spring's coming because the earth's on a rhythm. God has created us to live in a rhythm of life. And what I'm trying to say by unto something is that God is always trying to influence the way we spend our time. That's the difference between visitational and habitational. It all comes down to what do you do with your time? You say, I don't experience God's, I don't hear his voice, I don't experience him, I don't see his kingdom come in my life. If I could say, hey, let's sit down and spend three hours and you'd walk through every minute of how you spend your week, I could tell you why. Because right? everything that we are in God is just, it's a summary of how we spend our time. And that does not mean that we're working to create ourselves into these mighty people, right? Seeds, it doesn't matter how hard a seed tries, a seed will not grow if it's sitting here on this table. You can push and squeeze and it just, it won't grow, right? I can put it over here, it won't grow. I can put it on the carpet, it won't grow. I can take it and put it in my pocket, it won't grow. No matter what that seed does, it won't grow. The only way a seed grows is how? You put it into soil, right? So how we spend our time, we can either put ourselves into soil, to good soil, or we can waste it. You know, and, and, and it's, and don't hear when I'm saying that, that only spiritual things like prayer are good soil. Investing in your wife is good soil. Investing in your kids is good soil. Having a Sabbath and playing is good soil, right? So, no, God's not like this hyper-spiritual Pharisee zealot that says, just pray 24-7, <laughs> then you'll bear fruit. No, you know, I'm doing this because sometimes that's what we act like. God's like this religious judge up there how long did you intercede? <laughs> like he's a pretty personal guy. And he created all of life. And he's like, hey, I got good places to invest your time. And then there's a whole world of options that are terrible ways to invest your time. Worthless ways to invest your time. And so what is Jesus discipling us into? I wanna teach you 
how to spend your time because I want to train you to become a worshiper, right? God is the most unsecular person out there. He's like in all of life, more than the church. He's in places the church is not. And he's like all over it. You know, it's like food, money, sex, everything. He's like, I got thoughts. Relationships, parenting. He's like, I'm kind of all of those things to all of you all the time. So he's in every decision of our life. Like food, right? We shouldn't put in our mouths something that Jesus wouldn't put in his mouth. He's like, hey, I could help you. I walked here on earth. I know how the digestive system works. I know how bodies, but like, I know it all. There's ways that you can worship me and there's ways that you can't, right? And Jesus wants to disciple our lives so that our life is just an ongoing cycle of worship, just a song of an ending praise, right? And everything, all the rhythms, all the activities, all the behaviors that we engage in, right? They have vertical orientation and they have horizontal orientation, And God wants to invite us into his wisdom, the governance of his wisdom, so that our whole life is unto him and bears fruit. Unto him bears fruit. Unto him bears fruit. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. That is what a habitation of God is, right? What does God God inhabit? What? He inhabits the praises of his people. So how do you become a habitation? You live a life of praise. Everything's unto the Lord, bears fruit with people. Unto the Lord, because he is love, I become love, bear fruit, right? It's like, it's amazing, it's amazing. This invitation that God's given us is absolutely incredible. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right, so it's all about time. God is watching, the world is watching. It's all about time. How do you spend your time? That's what it's all about. We all know, right? Actions speak louder than words, God isn't so concerned with the songs you sing. He's concerned with the song your life sings, right? He, he, I feel like sometimes God's like, I'm so like, you've told me you surrender so many times. You've told me. I'm waiting for you to surrender. You know, and it's like, God's not like, our begging won't do anything. Our pleading, it's not about that. It's about how we spend our time. It's all about time. You know, there's a poem my third grade teacher uh, shared with us, which I know that all of you have heard, and it struck me. I remember as a third grader, it struck me, and I still think about this often. And I'll just, you know, two roads diverged in a road, and I, I took the road less traveled by, and that's made all the difference. I oftentimes am, am kind of, it's not haunted, but it's the strong conviction in me. Am I on that road? Am I on the road? As a follower of Jesus Christ, am I on the road less traveled by? Right? Am I going to become the greatest Christian that I was created to be? You know, like no athlete, very few athletes are like, you know, I just want to be mediocre. Right? They're like, I want to I wanna be great. And we're all drawn to greatness. We pay a lot of money to go witness greatness because it's speaking to something inside of us. Right? And as Christians, we should be more motivated than, a, than, than an athlete, more motivated than a musician, 
more motivated than anybody that sets out to achieve greatness in their life. Right? We should be motivated, not by performance and for the praise of man, but because I want to be what you're worthy of. Like, I, I, I want to be everything for you because you literally came and were everything for me. So I don't understand, you know, why there's not, why so many of us, so many Christians struggle. Yeah, it's kind of lukewarm. It's why he says, I spit that out. It's not hypocrisy. He's like, I burn with love for you. So I want nothing to do with lukewarm. I'd rather you be cold. How do we know we've taken the road less traveled by? How can we be sure? How can we find it? Isaiah 55, I believe, is a prophetic message to the American church, honestly. Ho, which is another way of saying stop, stop. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. We have to slow down. And I love that it's using money in this passage. Because time is money. He's saying, why are you spending so much time on things that don't really satisfy you? You can come to me and I'll give it to you for free. I'll give you abundance. I'll let you delight your soul. Why are you feasting? Why are you slaving yourself? Why are you so busy acting as if all of that's going to make you happy and satisfied? Stop it. Come to me. Only God knows the road. Only he knows the road less traveled. And it's in the deep waters of that river where it takes you wherever he pleases. That's the road less traveled, the abandoned place where I no longer have control, but I am in your presence and I remain in your presence and I will go wherever you take me and wherever you send me. That's the road less traveled and only God knows what that looks like for you. 
And you'll never find it unless you stop and learn to listen. Because he's inviting you into it. We have to learn to listen and receive. And this is the truth. If we don't know how to listen and receive instruction from God, then we are basically destined to a life of vain religiosity. Our, we're, we're making decisions out of our own best judgments, which will inevitably lead us somewhere other than he is. And he says, my sheep follow me because they hear my voice. And that's the connection point. That's what gets us into the river. And so you'll create a religion of your own if you can't listen and receive. So if you're in a busy, hurried pace, there's independence at work in your life. And there are areas where you are not under the authority of Jesus because you can't even hear what he's saying to become under it. So it creates this self-fulfilling cycle that is uh, not beneficial and not what we're really looking for. So we have to listen and receive. Right? He wants to save us from vanity. He wants to save us from a life of regret. It's not what he intends for us. He, he, he's quite good at fulfilling what he created us to do. But we have to listen and receive if we want any hope of taking that road. And then two, it's not a one-time decision. That road is not a one-time decision. It's not like, oh, I came to the road and I chose the, the road less traveled by six months ago. Right? It's a daily disciplined yes. Right? And so the first is we have to learn to listen and receive. But then second is we have to give a daily disciplined yes. We have to learn how to stay there. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes in my finances, yes in my parenting, yes in my relationships, yes in my job, yes, 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 yes. This is not the American dream. You know, like, you know, me and Jackie have had conversations recently because we're looking to buy a house and the market's difficult and all these things and so exciting, the thought of buying a house, but honestly, I've prayed many times, Lord, do you want that? Like, yeah, we have the money to do it, but do you want that? Your, your presence is our home before any building. If you want us in the building and your presence will be there, then that's where I want to be, but truly, Lord, I desire this. I de she desires it, but like, do you desire it? Right? The only way you know that is if you can listen and receive. Right? It's, it got, Jesus wants everything. He wants to be a part of everything, but the underlying question of all of that is, do you trust me and do you know I'm good? Right? Because so much of the times we, we're like little toddlers, right, that we don't want to listen because we, mine. That's mine. That is my right. I went and studied and did this and I made that money and it's mine. Right, and God's saying, hey, dude, you don't even know where good soil is, man. All right, put your seed over there. Come back in a few months, see what it does. You know, you want, it's like we make all these decisions so many times where it's like we're, we're so frustrated by our seeds aren't growing. It's like, well, probably because you're putting in the wrong place. So if we want to be people 
that choose that road, which I know that you are. That's why you're here. Right? You're created for that. I'm created for that. Right? We have to learn to listen and receive and then hear and obey. Listen and receive, hear and obey. Right? And I believe that over the course of the next however long that the Lord has us here, it could be a couple months, honestly, uh, God's gonna be speaking and we're gonna be listening and hearing and God's gonna speak to you. He's probably spoken to some of you tonight. That's amazing. Like, praise God, but it's unto something, right? It's a daily disciplined yes, right? And there's this interplay between desire and discipline that I think is always, there's a tension that has to be alive in our spirituality, right? Discipline protects what desire conceives, right? And so if we have no discipline in our life and we throw all discipline out as if that's religious and I have to feel like it to be able to do it, you're not gonna get very far, there's a lot of times you just, you don't feel anything. I think there's a lot of times God's like, I'm gonna just take the feelings away and see what you do then. You know, because it's not about feelings, right? But there, it's, it's not all about discipline either. You know what I mean? There's tension. And uh, I think God is, is taking us on a journey. And it's gonna be a beautiful journey. And, and I believe he's building, he's, he's bridging. He wants to bridge between Sunday and Monday. You know, it's only a few hours, but it's a huge canyon, in the, the mind and the heart of the American church. And, and so we are gonna go, I'm inviting you to come with me. I'm more speaking, he's inviting us to come with him on a huge architectural project of building a bridge over this canyon to see this river flow. And it's worth it, it's so worth it. I, I wanna hear the testimonies in this building of you at your job saying, they came to me with tears in their eyes saying, I don't know what it is, but I'm experiencing something. That's what you're created for. He's not looking to you special people. You are his chosen, his beloved, his son, his daughter. You have all the capacity you need to become and live and, and, and get into this river. We gotta slow down. We gotta learn to listen. And we gotta learn to build discipline and say yes, a daily disciplined yes to what he's speaking. Right? That's, that's the mechanism. That transaction, receiving, and then the discipline to, to, like that is what makes all the difference. That is the daily choosing of the road less traveled. And that is what you and I are gonna do, amen? Yeah. I believe it, we got what it takes. So I'm gonna, uh, I, I, I think you, we gotta go get kids soon. So if you, if you have kids, um, you, you'll need to get them in like 10 minutes. But um, I, I feel like some of you are convicted. I'm just gonna ask them, you guys can put the lights down. And uh, prayer team's gonna come forward. And maybe, I don't know if Helen can come play on the keyboard or something. But I just, I'm gonna let you guys close service when you're ready. But I'm just gonna like, let this be a, a place to just slow down and be with God. And so if you need to be with God, just be with God. And maybe practice walking out a step slower, lingering a little longer. Uh, but I just bless you to be with God. You are loved. If you want prayer, maybe stay for prayer. You know, whatever it is. Uh, there's no agenda other than I don't want to say, now get on out of here and go home after your messes like that. That was supposed to be funny, but it didn't land. <laughs> okay. So, Jesus, 
I thank you for your holy presence. We thank you for conviction, God. It's so good. It's so pure. It's so powerful. And it flows from the most tender love that we could possibly fathom. And I thank you that conviction, it cuts us, but it also empowers us to, to change. And I ask that your conviction will not just uh, rest on us here, but that it will follow us throughout our week and that you will begin to uh, do a work in our heart, God, to till the soil of our heart, God, and, and prepare us for, for whatever it is you're wanting us to do with our time. Uh, you're so good and you're so trustworthy and so we're just gonna wait on you tonight, God, and let you do what only you can do. And so we ask that you would bridge the gap in our lives between Sunday and Monday and that you would disciple us into a habitational paradigm of relating with, abiding in, and walking out life hand in hand with you. God, for those of us that have been like me, suffering on the green belt in heat exhaustion when your presence is five steps away, just check us right now. Just cut our hearts right now. Check us. And draw us into that holy river of your amazing grace, your empowering presence. And do a work in us, we pray, God. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.